0: How are you guys doing this morning? Two of you are doing good, all right. Good news is our text today is uh, nice and challenging and fun, so uh, hopefully y'all will uh, be encouraged by the end of it, though. Uh, As Brett said, my name is Ian. I am a family ministry pastor uh, down in Cedar Rapids, and so it's a joy to be with you guys, and today is the day we are finishing Genesis. All right, you guys aren't excited about that. That means you must have loved Genesis. Uh I did too. I thoroughly enjoyed going through this as a church family and even just I've been reading it with a few guys off to the side as well. And it's just been really encouraging to me to see God's faithfulness uh, to his promise and see even as we open Genesis and look at creation and look at these stories that we've heard growing up if you went to church, uh of God's faithfulness. We see these stories and we see that it's all pointing to Jesus. We see that it's all about God. It's all about His glory. Uh, and so it's been a ton of fun, uh, to be in this text with you, to be in Genesis, Genesis with y'all. And next semester going to be fun jumping into Revelation. And so we're going to look at both bookends. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, but this morning as we close out Genesis, uh, we get confronted with this question. And it's how do you respond when others hurt you, harm you, or cause you pain? How do you respond when others hurt you? When others cause you pain? If, uh, you're anything like me, it's not well. Uh, you don't respond super well. Uh, I remember, uh, being a kid, uh, I have an older brother and we argued a good bit. Anyone have older siblings that you argue with? A couple of you guys. So, or younger siblings that make you argue with them. Maybe a few more of y'all. Uh, but having an older brother, we butt heads a lot. And, uh, My brother was very fast to anger. The Bible says be slow. My brother did not heed that advice. He was quick to anger. Uh, I remember one time we were playing ping-pong at his birthday party, and I completely schooled him. And uh, in his anger and frustration, he responds by just chucking the ping-pong paddle at me and giving me a black eye. And then I respond as a typical middle child, go tell mom and dad, and then he gets in even more trouble. And so uh, we respond in poor ways a lot of the times when people cause us pain and when people cause us harm. And when we look at Joseph's life, we started looking at Joseph's life last week, right? when we look at his life, if anyone had uh, any excuse to act ill towards people who had caused him harm, it was Joseph. You look at his life, and the dude went through the ringer, right? Like, he gets sent by his father to go check in on his brothers. His brothers accuse him of spying. They strip him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him. He gets accused of rape and thrown in jail. That is not a good way to live your life. And uh, it's a life that many of us would not wish on anyone else. But that's the life that Joseph has. And uh, we actually see at the end of the story of Joseph, though, that he doesn't respond with bitterness, like we're prone to. He doesn't respond with anger, like we usually do. He doesn't even respond with like holding a grudge but we see that Joseph forgives. And so what in Joseph allowed him to forgive his brothers after they did that to him? And this story doesn't necessarily talk about the forgiveness that he showed Potiphar, but I'm assuming that it's there when you look at Joseph's character. But what was it in Joseph? What about Joseph allowed him to forgive his brothers in that way? What fueled his forgiveness? It may be this morning, we can actually see what can fuel our forgiveness when others hurt us. Is there a truth? Is there something that we can know from God's word that can fuel our forgiveness Towards others. And so that's what we're going to see as we finish out Joseph's story. And before we get to that point though, uh, we got to kind of summarize what happens. Some of y'all might be familiar with the story of Joseph, but uh we need to summarize what happens. We have eight chapters to cover, not going to preach through all eight chapters completely, uh, but we want to summarize what is going on. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis 42. That's where we're going to kind of start talking through it. But at this point. We have Joseph. He is now second in command. Remember last week that God had uh, given Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He had told uh, Joseph what Pharaoh's dreams meant and how to respond to keep the people of Egypt from dying due to the famine. And so Pharaoh likes this plan. He makes Joseph second in command of everything. So you have Joseph second in command. Famine hits. That's where we start in Genesis 42. We're in the middle of the famine. The years of plenty have passed. The famine has started. It's in the middle of it, we think. And it's not looking good to a lot of neighboring nations, and so much so that people from all around are coming into Egypt to try and find food. And that includes who? Joseph's brothers. And so, Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt, they're walking up, and then uh, we see this interaction uh, between them and Joseph. They come into Egypt, and uh, this is what we see in verse 8 of 42. It says, And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now, if you're a sibling, you're taking advantage of this moment, right? Like, your brothers did you dirty, and now they don't know that it's you. You're like, all right, let's see what we can do here. Uh, At least that's how I would respond. And Joseph actually messes with them a little bit. Uh, maybe not with that intention. He's actually testing them, but we see Joseph treat them in irony the same way that they treated him all those years ago. We see Joseph accuse them of being spies just like they had done to him. We see Joseph throw them in jail just like they had thrown him in a pit. And then we see Joseph keep one of their brothers from going back home to their father. And we see this irony that is in play as Joseph uh, speaks with his brothers as they come to Egypt to get food. So they come, they get their food, they go to jail. He brings them back out and he says, hey, here's what you're going to do. To prove to me that you aren't spies and aren't meaning evil towards us here, I'm going to keep your brother Simeon here. And you guys, you're going to go back to your father and you're going to bring me your youngest brother. So I can make sure that you're telling the truth, that you're honest people, that you're not lying and not trying to bring harm upon us here in Egypt. And so he sends the brothers with their food on the way. He puts their money back in their bags, which they find on their way back home. And they get freaked out a little bit. They're like, oh no, is he going to think that we stole from him? Is he going to come after us? They get back home to their father, Jacob, and they tell Jacob everything that has happened. And uh, we see that uh, Reuben tries to convince Jacob, hey, we need to go back with Benjamin right now. Jacob's not having it. He's like, I'm not going to be out three sons because of you fools. And so uh, he says, no, you're not going. You're not heading back to Egypt with Benjamin. You know Benjamin's my favorite now that you got rid of Joseph. And so uh, I'm not sending you back with him. It says, uh, as we get to the end of that chapter and heading into the next chapter, Now the famine was severe in the, la- in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, the Father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. And so uh, we see a change of heart in Jacob. It's funny when a man is hungry, the decisions that uh, that his mind tends to make. So he changes his mind because he's hungry. He sends his sons back to Egypt uh, to get a little bit of food. And here we actually see Judah uh, pledging his life for Benjamin's. Benjamin goes with them. Otherwise, they know they won't get food. And Judah says, hey, I promise that Benjamin will be okay. I'm staking my life on it for your sake. And so we actually see this weird turn, this really cool transformation that's been happening in Judah throughout this. That Judah, the one whose idea it was to sell uh, his brother, his father's favorite, is now promising the safety of his father's new favorite on his own life. And so we see this transformation happening in Judah's life. And so they go back to Egypt. Uh, Benjamin is in tow with them. And when they get to Egypt, Joseph has them come to his chambers, has them go to his household. And the brothers are kind of freaking out right about now because they know that they had the money that they initially had come with to get food. And they're like, oh, he knows that we have the money. He's going to throw us in jail again or worse. Maybe he's going to kill us because he's going to think that we stole. But they get to Joseph's chambers. And instead, Joseph wants to have a meal with them. And so he invites them to eat with him. They're at two different tables because uh, Egyptian custom would never have Hebrew people eating with Egyptian people. But they're in the same room. They're eating together. They're feasting together. They're drinking together. And everything seems to be going pretty well. And then uh, they get their food the next day. And the brothers start to head back uh, to their father Jacob with their entire family in tow. But Joseph had one more test for them. He had one more test, and so he tells his people, hey, take my silver cup, put it in Benjamin's bag, because he wants to see, have my brothers actually changed? When it comes down to it, are they willing to still let their father's favorite son be left away from their father? Are they still willing to leave a brother behind? And so Joseph's uh, people, they put the cup in Benjamin's bag and uh, they approach the brothers and they're like, hey, the cup is gone. It's one of you guys. And they're like, no, it wasn't us. It was in Benjamin's bag. And then we see this really sweet time where Judah once again, like interjects on behalf of Benjamin The one who sold a brother is now stepping in the place of the brother, willing to take his punishment, willing to take on the role of servant to Joseph, and willing to stay behind in Egypt while his family goes back to the father. And it's at this point that Judah is saying all this, that Joseph sends everyone out and just begins to cry. And if you read through this, which I'd encourage you guys to read through this text this week, Joseph cries a lot, which is just really interesting to me. And so guys in here, cry. It's fine. When emotions come up, just cry. Joseph does it. You can do it too, okay? And so Joseph cries and he reveals himself to his brother saying, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm the one that you sold all those years ago. Here I am. And instead of being angry and bitter towards his brothers, we see reconciliation happen towards his brothers. So he sends them on to go bring Jacob, his father, back to come live in Egypt. Jacob comes, lives in Egypt, and we see Jacob in his days in Egypt. He blesses Pharaoh. He blesses Joseph's children. And then he blesses Joseph and the brothers as he dies. And then Genesis ends with Joseph passing away. And so that really takes us from those eight chapters. Really, eight chapters in eight minutes ain't bad, guys. So it could have gone a lot longer. You're welcome. Uh, but in those eight chapters, that's really the story of Joseph that we see. A story of reconciling with brothers. A story of bringing family back together. A story of forgiveness. And I encourage you guys, go back and read those seven, eight chapters this week uh, throughout the rest of your week. Uh, But I want to focus in and really hone in on something specific that we're going to see in chapters 45 and 50. Because I think what we see in chapters 45 and 50 are the key to what fueled Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers and the key to what can fuel our forgiveness of others as well. And so, Chapters 45 and 50. Uh, we'll start in 45, and we're going to read the first eight verses. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. This is after Judah had said, Hey, I'm going to stay instead of Benjamin. Don't do this to our father. Don't do this to our family. Let me stay instead of Benjamin. This is what Joseph says. Uh, he could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. That's gotta be some loud crying. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. We see his brothers are scared. They're like, uh-oh. Like, this is Joseph. The one that we sold, the one we threw in the pit. This is going to get ugly for us. They're dismayed. They're not happy to see their brother. They're scared to see their brother. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And so right away in these eight verses, we see a perspective that Joseph had. We see a truth that Joseph knew. That while it was his brothers that sold him and acted sinfully towards him, it was actually God who sent him. And we see that the sinful selling of his brothers is the exact same thing as the sovereign sending of God. Joseph knew that it wasn't just his brothers who sold him into slavery that acted sinfully towards him. It was God in his good plan sending him to preserve life. He knew that the bad things that happened to him weren't just bad things, but things planned by God for the good of others. Because that is an amazing truth that Joseph knew. And it's something that we actually see repeated pretty closely later on in chapter 50. In chapter 50, uh, uh, Jacob has died. Uh, And his brothers, after Jacob dies, we kind of see them respond the same way when they first find out that it was Joseph. That they're dismayed. They're a little anxious. They're worried. What is Joseph going to do to us? And starting in verse 15, this is what we see. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to them. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He's crying again. Uh, His brothers also came and fell down before him, and he said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We see in chapter 45 and 50 that Joseph isn't angry with his brothers because he knows what God is up to. He has a perspective on the pain in his life that we need to be having in our life, that it's not just pain inflicted to us by others or by a sinful world, but it is God's sending. When you look closely, you see that in verse, in chapter 45, he says, you sold, or as chapter 50 says, you meant, his brothers meant and intended for evil what they did. But the very next thing we see is that he says God sent. Or as chapter 50 puts it, God meant or intended it for good. And here Joseph says in chapter 45, you sent three times in three verses. And just a Bible tip for you, if you're reading the Bible and something is repeated that often in that short of a time period, it's important. And so Joseph knew that this wasn't the act of just his brother sinning against him. This was God sending him. This was God's plan. This was God at work. The sin of his brothers was the good plan of the Father. And guys, that can be really hard for us to comprehend. That can be really hard for us to understand in our own hearts and in our own lives. But this is what Joseph knew. He knew that God was sovereign even over his brother's sinfulness. He knew that God was in control and not thrown off by his brother's sin. Or you could put it this way. We're going to build off of this phrase throughout the morning. But Joseph knew that his pain was not outside of God's plan. Because the same is true for you. That your pain is not outside of God's plan for you. Your pain is not outside of his plan for you. It might seem like and people might actually be acting sinfully towards you. But that's not outside of God's plan. That's not outside of God's sending. It's not outside of his sovereign goodness. He knew that his pain was not outside of God's plan. And we get this to some extent, like especially when you look at medicine in the medical field, right? Anyone ever have like a pretty bad injury? Like broken arm, broken leg, anything like that. No one one jested. Great. Uh, I played football in high school. Uh, I actually got sent a memory from my mom on Facebook, which is kind of funny when your mom sends you memories on Facebook. Uh, but I apparently, I didn't even remember this. I made our local newspapers uh, first team, like center for the first team according to our local newspapers that makes sense like all first team for our local newspaper I'm not sure how that happened probably because we're the only high school in our town and so not much competition when you're looking at centers um so I made first team center but in my uh junior year, senior I don't remember, I got a football helmet hit to my leg and didn't really think anything of it. Uh, but there was, it kept being swollen no matter how much I iced it. Uh, a week goes by and I'm just in excruciating pain. I'm just downing Advil like it's like candy, which a doctor said you shouldn't do. So don't do that, guys. Um, but I'm just trying to keep the pain away. I go to the doctor. Trainer sends me to the doctor. And they're like, yeah, that's a pretty major infection and we need to deal with that right now. And that means that they had to take my leg and cut it open and squeeze out the infection. In that moment, did the doctor intend pain on my life? Yes, 100%. The doctor meant to cause me pain by cutting my leg open. But it wasn't just intended as evil. It was intended for good. The doctor meant that pain... For the good of my leg. And we get this from a medical sense, and maybe we need to get it from a spiritual sense. That what the world and other people can mean for evil and intend for evil is actually God intending it and meaning it for good. The same sin that others uh, have towards you is actually God acting in favor towards you in the long run. And Veritas, we can be so quick to praise God and thank God for the good things in our life, and we should do that. We should sing to him. We should thank him when things are going well, when he blesses us with wonderful things in our life. We're so quick to think and give credit to God when things go good, but yet when things are going bad, we shy away from saying God is at work. When things go bad, we shy away from saying, oh, this is God sending. This is the sovereign hand of God. But church, God isn't just God over the good things. He isn't just in control of the good things. He doesn't just have the good things planned. He has all of it planned. He has all of it in his control. He has all of it under his authority. He has all of it under his care. We serve a God who's bigger than just God of the good things. He's bigger of all things. And so when you look at Joseph's life, he isn't surprised by disaster He isn't surprised by pain, but he sees God is the one who sent him. God is the one who brought that about in his life. We even see in chapter 41 that God is the one who brings the famine into Egypt. It wasn't just a natural disaster that happened because it's a fallen world. It did happen because it's a fallen world, but it also happened because God caused it to happen. He made it happen. We see God's complete control over all of this. And so if we're going to build off the phrase from just a minute ago, we could say something like this, that God's plan for you includes the evil and pain inflicted upon you. I know that's not fun to hear, but it's true. That God's plan for you includes the evil and pain inflicted on you. Guys, Joseph knew this, and we need to know this. And if we stopped here that would sound really terrible, right? Like, it would sound like we have a really cruel and mean God. That why would God plan this for me? How is miscarriage a part of God's plan for me? How is death of a loved one a part of God's plan for me? How is everything that has gone wrong in my life a part of God's plan for me? Because that seems just really mean. It seems like we have a cruel God, not a good God. But luckily, we don't stop there. Scripture doesn't stop there. I want to point you to Romans 8. Because in Romans 8, we have a perspective that I think Joseph had. But I also think that Paul clearly states here that we all need to have. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. It says this. It says, And we know that for those who love God, so all those who are called by God, saved by God, who have faith in the Father... God, we see the goodness of God working in all things. So when pain and tragedy hits, it might be a result of sin, but it's also a result of God working something beautiful for you, working something good for you. It might not be good for your bank account. It might not be good for your fame. It might not be good for your comfort, but it is good for you. It is good for your life because it's good for your sanctification. It's good for your holiness. It is good for conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. The pain that you go through is good for you. The pain that the world inflicts on you, God means for good to make you more and more like His Son, Jesus. The pain that you go through is good, it's hard to see in the moment. But it's good for you because it is sanctifying you. It's making you more like Jesus. It's making you more and more holy. And so next time you see pain in your life, next time suffering comes upon you, next time someone hurts you, yeah, it might be sin on their part, but it is also God at work sanctifying. It might be a sinful work of others, but it's also the sanctifying work of God. We see that it's good that your pain is part of God's plan because it's for you. But it's not just for you. It's not just for your good and for your sanctification. It's also preparing something for you. When you turn to 2 Corinthians, we see this too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, should be on the screen, but it says this in verse 17. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light, momentary affliction. Now, Paul is talking to someone who went through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and a lot of affliction in his life. And when he describes pain and affliction here, he describes it as light and momentary. It might last all of your life, but when you look in the grand scheme of eternity, it is momentary. It's temporary. And it's preparing for you. The suffering that you are feeling is preparing for you feeling an eternal weight of glory that the suffering and hurt and pain you feel can't even touch. Like when you take the weight of the pain that others cause you, the weight of the pain of this world, the weight of the pain of your suffering, and you compare it to the weight of glory that you, as a follower of Jesus, are going to have in eternity, it doesn't even compare. God has a plan for the pain in your life. The pain in your life is a part of his plan. It's for your good, for your sanctification. and It's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that we can't even begin to comprehend here. So if we're going to keep adding on to our statement, we could say, God's plan for you includes the evil and pain inflicted upon you for the good of you. God's plan for you includes the evil and pain inflicted upon you for the good of you. Joseph knew this. Joseph knew this truth. He knew that the pain that his brother sinfully caused upon him was God sending him. He knew the suffering that he endured was being meant for good for himself and for others. He knew everything that he went to, God was using. God was at work for what the world and his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Guys, this is a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. And so easily we can be quick to look at scripture and be like, yeah, I can see how this was good in Joseph's life. Like, I can see how this worked out for good. God used it to save many people, to preserve nations. To leave a remnant, to allow the promise to continue. Like, we can see how this was good in Joseph. And we look at other stories throughout scripture and we can see how the pain and suffering others in scripture felt and experienced turned out for the good. But when it comes to our life, we get scared to say that. Because it's more personal to us. It's like, this is my family. These are my kids. This is my life. This is my comfort we're talking about here. How can this being inflicted upon me possibly be for good? Maybe we need to step back and we need to get a bigger perspective. And we need to step outside of just our life. And we need to step into the perspective that God has. That God is working all things for his good. He has a redemptive plan in mind that every ounce of pain and every ounce of good you feel leads to. Because God has a plan for it. God's plan for you includes the pain and evil inflicted upon you for the good of you. And we see, ultimately, that's what fueled the forgiveness that Joseph had towards his brothers. Because when he knew that this wasn't just his brothers acting sinfully, but was God acting in complete control? And was God sanctifying? And was God preparing and God saving? When he saw God's perspective of this pain and this sin... Why wouldn't he forgive? Why wouldn't he show compassion and kindness and grace towards his brothers? Because he saw God's plan in the midst of it. And church, when you see God's plan in the midst of your pain, it leads you to forgive others. When you see that God's plan for your life includes the evil and pain in your life for your good and the good of others, it's a lot easier to forgive those who hurt you. Because you know that God is using it. You know that God is working in it. You know that God is meaning that for your good. And the good of those who love him. So that fuels Joseph's forgiveness. And that should fuel our forgiveness. And so if we kind of pull back the language we've been using, we can say that God's plan, including the pain, including the evil, but God's plan for you fuels your forgiveness for those who hurt you. Joseph knew that everything that happened to him up to this point was God's plan for him. The hurt, the pain, the rising to power, he knew all of that was God's plan for him. And so he was able to forgive his brothers. So church, who do you need to forgive? Who has caused you pain? Who has caused suffering in your life because of their sinful actions? What scenarios do you need to take a step back on and see that, man, this situation, this painful, hard situation, this sin of these other people that have caused pain in my life, man, this is actually God working for me. And so I'm going to take a step and forgive them. Who do you need to act that way towards? I encourage you, don't just gloss over that. Don't just walk by that, like think on that, dwell on it, pray over it. Have God show you who you need to forgive and walk in that forgiveness. Because we know that God is meaning all things. He's meaning all things for good. Even if the world and others mean it for evil, God is meaning it for good, for your good, for your sanctification and preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. God's working. He's meaning it for good. And that should be a comfort to you. That no matter what you deal with, no matter what you go through, God is meaning that for your good. And so you can have comfort because God's plan is unshakable by Nothing can shake it. No evil can conquer God's plan. No sin can conquer God's plan. And so you can take comfort that God's plan is at work and it is for your good if you love him. You can take comfort in it. You can forgive because of it. You don't need to hold on to the grudges because God is working in it to prepare for you a weight of glory that is beyond comparison. He's preparing and he's working in you for your sanctification and your good so you can forgive because God has an unstoppable, unshakable plan. You can worship in the midst of pain. You can worship in the midst of hardship. Because God is good. His plans never fail. And he is working all things for your good. Because that's the truth that we see in this text. The beautiful truth that we see in this text. That your pain isn't wasted because it is planned by God. And it's planned by God for your good. But there's another side to this story that I want us to look at as we close this morning. Because anytime someone forgives, that means what? That someone has to be forgiven. And so I want to look quick as we end our time by looking at the other side of this forgiveness that Joseph showed. By looking at the brother, specifically one brother, I want us to look at Judah. Because as much as this story focuses in on Joseph's life, some would argue that Judah is the most important character in it. And so let's look at Judah's story in a nutshell quick. If you go back to our previous chapters, we see that Judah betrays and sells his brother, lies to his father, sleeps with and gets his daughter-in-law pregnant. That's a tough start for a guy, right? But then we see something happen. We saw in our text this morning, a transformation that has been happening in Judah's life where he goes and he, we see guilt that he has for what he did to Joseph. We see him go from being jealous of his father's favorite to protecting his father's favorite, from selling and betraying his brother to stepping in his brother's place. We see a lot of transformation happening in the life of Judah. And when we get to the end of Jacob's life, we see him bless his sons. And here's what we see in these blessings. I want to read uh, Joseph's first, and then we'll go back and read Judah's. But in chapter 49 of Genesis, Jacob is blessing his children as he's getting ready to die. And this is what he says, starting in verse 22. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bow, fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be upon the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who has set apart for his brothers. Seems like a pretty good blessing, right? Like we all want to be on the receiving end of that one. Then you go back and we see Judah's blessing. Starting in verse 8, we see Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. Pray from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until the tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his fowl to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. We see Joseph gets the blessing, but we see that Judah gets the promise of God. That the promise I was promised all the way back in Genesis 3, that there would be a savior, there would be a ruler, a Messiah, making all things right. We see Joseph, yeah, he gets the blessings of this life, but we see Judah gets the promised one. He's the one of promise. And we see that this story, yes, it shows us how we can be people who forgive, but it shows us that Joseph's forgiveness of Judah was to show the faithfulness of God to keep his promise that the forgiveness of Joseph towards Judah was to show the faithfulness of God to keep his promise. And what we really see is that this story, it shows us something bigger. It shows us something better. It points us to a better story of God using a better Joseph to save a people worse than Judah. It points us and gives us a glimpse of the story of Jesus, who Jesus was sent from his father. He was accused by his brothers. He was arrested and betrayed by one as close as a brother. He was accused of something that he didn't do and ultimately put to death. We see Jesus as the better Joseph. And we see that Jesus, through his death, provides a great forgiveness for those that had wronged him. Those who would betrayed him for us. See, through the story of Joseph, we don't just see how we can forgive others, but we see a glimpse of God's forgiveness, making a way for us to be forgiven and brought into the family of God. And as we get ready to take communion in just a couple minutes, that's what I want you to think on. That's what I want you to dwell on. I want you to do those two things. I want you to remember as you take communion. That Jesus' body was broken. Jesus' blood was shed. And that was the intent of evil from the world and from Satan. That what Satan intended for evil through the breaking of his bones and the shedding of his blood, God meant for good. To bring about forgiveness for his people. That what the enemy meant for evil there, God meant for good to restore to himself his people. That it wasn't wasted. So, as you take the body, as you take the bread, remembering the body of Jesus, dip it in the juice, remembering the blood of Jesus that was shed, remember that that, this is a physical representation of what the enemy meaning for evil, God meaning for good. And then, as you take that and as you remember that, be thinking of, I mean, who do I need to forgive? How does this, how does the goodness of God working through the pain in my life lead me to forgive those around me? And if it's someone in this room, I encourage you, go forgive them today. Before you leave, go forgive them. If it's a spouse, if it's a child, if it's a parent, See God working in the pain that they have caused in your life and don't leave here without reconciling with them because God has reconciled himself to you. And if it's someone that's not in this room, do that this week because we have a God who works all things for the good of those who love him. That your pain is not wasted because it is planned. And it is planned for your good, preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. And because of that, we get to be a people of comfort. People who are comforted because we know that God is working in all things. And we get to be a people of worship. Because we know that we have been forgiven greatly, though we don't deserve it. By a God who is making us more and more like him. So with that in mind, let's pray as we get ready to take communion and worship together. God, it's a hard truth, but a good truth. That the pain that we experience, the suffering that we go through, is a part of your plan for our life. God, and may that be a comforting thing to us this morning. That we know that you, a good God, are in control of all things. That you are working all things for our good, if we love you. So God, if some in here this morning don't know you, because they've been wronged, because they've been hurt, because of pain in their life, God, may you show them your goodness this morning. May you show them the intent of the pain that has been brought upon them as your good towards them. God, may they call upon you for salvation this morning. For those of us who do know you, who do love you, give us your perspective. Help us see the pain and suffering in our life not just caused by sin in the world but as a part of your plan for us that you would be making us holy that you would be preparing for yourself a holy people, a set apart people a sanctified people. God and may that bring us comfort and joy and may we worship because of it. It's in your name we pray.